in the in the in, in the book itself. Um, today, I just want us to look at uh, chapter six, as we last week we looked at chapter six, verse fourteen, up until verse twenty-nine. This morning, we look at chapter six, verse thirty to thirty-four. So we're looking at these uh, verses um, that will be our focus. You will notice that. It, it, it ends, um, you know, the reading of this passage ends abruptly and you wonder why don't we go to 44. But uh, 44 up and, uh, 35 to 44, we'll look at it next week. I just want us to look at it separately uh, today. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to 34. And the title of the sermon this morning is Our Compassionate Savior. Our Compassionate Savior. Uh, let us look at Mark chapter 6, shall we? Uh, verse 30 uh, to 34. I read from the ESV. Follow me as I read God's word. This is God's word. Let us hear him. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves for a, to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure, leisure even to eat. And they went away into the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and began to teach them many things. This is God's word. Let us pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we uh, want to thank you for bringing us together in this way. Uh, we want to thank you for giving us your word, for us to know you, to grow in you, and to glorify you. We pray that as we hear your word, you will open our hearts, you will open our minds to understand. You will conform our will to your will. Thrill us, thrill us, and skill us in your word that we may be a people equipped to serve you. In Jesus' blessed name, amen. Oftentimes, people have a faulty impression of just who God is. Some people see God as a being so high and holy that he has no time for people like you and me. Others see him as resembling a doting old grandfather who winks at sin and just kind of watches his creation with amusement and see what will happen next. Well, God is high and a holy God, right? He is separate from sinners. He is untouched by our wickedness and cannot look upon our sins. He certainly does not wink at our sins and, and sit back at the universe um, to, to do its own thing. He is a God who is in, in control of all things at all times. But like a doting old grandfather, he's a God who cares. He's a God who cares. It may surprise some to think about God as being a caring God. He is often portrayed as a God of wrath and, 
and judgment. Uh, that is one side of his character. Yes, he is a God who displays his wrath against sin and sinners. However, he is also a God of love, compassion, and intimacy. He is a God who cares. One reason he cares is because he knows what we face in life. He knows this because he came to this world and lived among us for a time. God Almighty actually robbed himself, in, he, he robed himself of, of, in, in human flesh so that he might live among men and die on a cross for sinners. Remember John chapter 1 verse 14? And the word became flesh and lived among us and we beheld his glory, glorious of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. While he was here, he endured more than his share of pain, of poverty and suffering. He knows what it is like to, to do without. Think about Matthew chapter 8 verse 20 when he says to his disciples, uh, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He knows what it is like to be rejected. Remember John chapter 1 verse 11, he says, John testifies, he says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They, they rejected him. He, he knows what it is like to be hated. He knows what it is like to suffer pain. He knows what it is like to be hungry, thirsty and alone. He, he knows what it is like to die. He walked through this world and experienced what he did so that he might better help you in your time of need. When you think about Hebrews chapter 4 verse 5, the, the writer of Hebrews tells us, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And as we continue our study in the gospel according to Mark today, we are confronted with a truly wonderful portion of scripture. These verses tell us without a doubt that Jesus cares about us. I want to point to you um, two groups of people for whom the Lord cares. I want to preach uh, on the subject our compassionate Savior and, and, and show you from the scriptures that our Lord cares. As I do, let him teach you that he cares about you personally today. First of all, we see in verse 30 to 32 that he cares about the laboring servants. He cares about the laboring servants. Look at verse 30 and 32, what it says to us. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And they went away into the boat to a desolate place by themselves. We see verse 30, their activity. The, the events of verse 30 take place 
right after the events of verse 13. You remember how Mark takes us on a detour and gives us this profile about Herod and his conscience that was troubled because of what he had done to John the Baptist. Jesus sent the 12 disciples out to preach and uh, teach and heal. Their ministry had been an unqualified success and they returned to the Lord and tell him all about their ministry in the surrounding villages. They, they are excited about all that they have witnessed and about the doctrine that they have been teaching. They, they, they come with such excitement and exhilaration of all that they have experienced and seen God was doing in their lives. And I can imagine them gathering around him while they all try to talk at, at, all at once. Right? Out of excitement, coming to report to the Lord who, who sent them out. It, it was an exciting time in the lives of these men. There the, the really is no greater thrill in life than to serve the Lord when He is blessing that service. But when you stop to consider where you came from and how He saved your soul, then to think that he would allow you a small part in his kingdom work is a blessing too great to comprehend. Yet the Bible is clear, isn't it? The Lord saved us to serve him. We are not saved to just sit around. We are saved to serve. He purposely redeemed us so that we, we might serve Him in this world. Remember Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And He did this before, you know, beforehand. He creates us, He, he saves us, and He works in us to do good works. We are people that are to be marked by good works. When he saved us, he equipped us for a special place in his kingdom work. Our service to the Lord proves the reality of our salvation experience. Right? James talks about the fact that when you, when you say you have faith, your faith, the, the, the reality or the truth of your faith must be demonstrated by your good works. You, you cannot say, I have faith, but have no good works. And James says, in fact, when you say, I have faith, but your faith is not demonstrated by good works, that faith is as good as dead. It is a wonderful thing to be busy for the Lord. To be allowed to serve Him is a blessing. And, and there are no small tasks in the kingdom of God, are there? Remember David's attitude in Psalm chapter uh, 84, verse 10. He says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Because he sees, as we sang, that it is better to be with the Lord. That the, the Lord is our treasure, isn't he? I wonder if he's your treasure. That the Lord is our treasure. It is good for us to be near the Lord. As the psalmist says, the nearness of the Lord is my good. What are you doing for Jesus right now? 
Are you living for Jesus right now? In verse 31 to 32, as the disciples draw near to him and report all of these things, we see his advice to them. Well, when Jesus hears their report and, and sees their enthusiasm, he gives them some strange advice. A, a lot of people would have suggested that it was time to seize the moment. That the people were listening, the crowds were coming. It, it seemed like the perfect time to send the disciples out again to go and preach and heal and increase the crowds. Jesus, on the other hand, calls the disciples away for a time of rest and refreshment. And I think there are several reasons why the Lord did this with his men. I think these reasons are still valid even today. Let me share these reasons with you. First of all, the physical stress of ministry is enormous. The, the, the physical stress of ministry is enormous. When disciples returned to Jesus, they found him surrounded by crowds of needy people. That the people were, were coming and going um, at such a frenzied rate that Jesus and his men did not even have time to eat a meal. That, that, that kind of constant stress would wear anyone out, wouldn't it? Jesus knew that his men needed to rest their bodies if they were going to be as effective as they could in their work for him. So he takes them across the lake so that they could be re-energized. There's a word here for the modern Christian as well. God did not design these bodies of ours to go like we forced them to. He never intended for us to run through this world with a cell phone to our ear, a day planner in our hand, and a schedule full of activity that no one could possibly get all these things done. God expects us to take time uh, you know, for our bodies to, to rest. Our bodies need rest. This is a lesson personally that I've learned the hard way. I find myself, because I'm a young man, that I burn the candle on both sides. And at the end of the day, I find that the consequences are dire for me and my health. Our days, months and years have all been discovered through observation, haven't they? Our one revolution of the earth was observed uh, you know, it was called a day. One lunar cycle was observed and called a month. One revolution of the earth around the sun was observed and called a year. But have you ever considered that the seven-day week was not man's observation? Seven-day week was God's idea. If you remember in Genesis chapter 2, after God has created all things, um, as, as, as Moses records, all of these events, he, he tells us this. He says, uh, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2 of Genesis, and, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from his work that he had done in creation. God decreed that men should work six days, and, and, and rest one day. The, 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 the seventh day rest is a gift of grace. God knows our bodies, uh, 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 that they are not designed to function all the time without rest. 
He sets aside one day in the week when we are to abstain from physical labor just to rest. You need rest. When you look at the rate, especially uh, you look at the statistics with regards to, to pastors who, who, who leave ministry because of burnout, um, the, the statistics shows that thousands of pastors leave ministry every month because of burnout. I read a book by um, Emmanuel Nash, and he says, God does not rest, but you have to rest. Right? You have to rest. You must sleep and slumber. <laughs> Our God does not sleep and slumber, but you must sleep and slumber because you are not God. There is one God and you are not Him. Someone had said that 45 minutes of hard preaching is equivalent in mental and physical stress to working eight hours. I will be more effective on Sunday if I get rest that I need on Saturday night. I will be more alert and more able to serve the Lord effectively. God wants us to serve Him, doesn't He? But He does not want us to kill ourselves in the process. We must take our time, uh, the time our bodies need to rest. Secondly, what we see is that the disciples were in danger of being lifted up in spiritual pride. If these men had been sent right back and they had seen the same greater results, that there was a danger that they might begin to think that there was something special. The, the truth was, they did nothing. Right? They, they, they were successful in the sense that Jesus was successful through them. All they did was go out in His power and He did the work. It wasn't about them at the end of the day. It was all about Him. So, so Jesus removed them from the limelight for a little while to, to, to help them keep things in the proper perspective. And we need that today, shouldn't we? We are not the center of attraction. Jesus Christ is. If, if we get to a point, a central Baptist church, that the, the center of attraction is the man sitting, uh, standing on the pulpit, then we've lost our way. We've lost our way. It, it is not about the man who stands before you. It is about Jesus Christ. We've lost the way when Jesus Christ is not our, 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 our highest, uh, uh, you know, desire. When, 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 we, when we leave and we have not experienced Jesus speaking to us. We have lost our way when, 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 when we put a man in front and he is the way we call him Papa, we call him whatever we want to call him. We, we, we put him in the front. We are so... Uh, I visited a church once, uh, um, um, last month actually, I'm not going to say other things, but uh, we were there and they were celebrating 17 years of being uh, the, 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 the church. Not once did the people who came to the front talk about God. Not once, but all of them talked about the father of the house. I was wondering, not once did anyone quote from the Bible. My wife and I were shocked that this is seen as normal. 
It is not normal, brothers and sisters. Jesus Christ must be the center. Again, there's a wait for us today here. We must never come to a place where we think this thing is about us, should we? As, as a preacher, as, as preachers, uh, Mr. Nyoni, when, when we preach that great message, we give him the glory. As, as teachers of Sunday school and youth, when, 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 when things go well in your class, you give him the glory. As, as, as singers, when you are on pitch and the Lord blesses the singing, you give him the glory. It is about him. It is not about us. If we are not real careful, we can fall into the trap of thinking that we are something special. If we are not careful, we can become lifted in pride and forget that anything good that comes from, uh, from our lives comes from the hand of God. What I'm saying is that we must remember where the blessing of service comes from. It isn't the preacher. It isn't the teacher. Or anyone else who wears a suit of flesh. Our blessings come from the Lord and He alone deserves the glory. Doesn't the Bible tell us that whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we should do it to the glory of God. It is all about us, brothers and sisters. Secondly, we see that Jesus, first of all, cares about the laboring servants. Secondly, in verse 33 to verse 34, he cares about the lost sheep. He cares about the lost sheep. This is verse 33 to 34. Jesus and his men make their escape from the crowds, but they did not slip away unnoticed. The, the, the people saw them leaving and recognized that the boat carried Jesus. The people ran around the shore of the lake and were waiting for him when he arrived on the other side. It's really amazing that they ran with such speed that they arrived even before them. We do know that there are motives at the end of the day because they were the very same people who cried, crucify him. But <laughs> their desire to see Jesus should, should mark us, shouldn't it? <laughs> we must be people that desire so much to see Jesus that we are at speed with it. <laughs> Even coming to church, that we arrive on time and early because we want to hear the word, we want to be involved in everything. I think that's an application that we can make safely. <laughs> it was about six kilometers across the lake by boat. On a, on a windless day, it would have taken quite some time to make that trip. It was about 10, mi- ten, uh, uh, ten miles. This is about, um, um, you know, 20 uh, kilometers, 16, uh, somewhere 16 between 20 kilometers around the shore of the lake. And, and fast walkers would have made the trip faster uh, than the boat. So this is just what happened that day. When Jesus and his men neared the shore, they saw a large crowd was waiting for them to meet them and according to verse 44 the crowd may have numbered even about 15,000 
to 20,000 people. This is the case because um, women and children were not counted in the numbers. You'll notice that even as, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mark tells us this story, he tells us about 5,000 men. So there were also women and children. Uh, he doesn't count the women and children. So the crowd could have been uh, much, much larger. So many people would have been angry if their plans for rest were interp- interrupted by the crowds. Right? Many people would have seen the crowds as an interruption and a nuisance. Some people would have just ignored the people and their needs. <laughs> but not Jesus. The, the Bible tells us that Jesus looks at them and he had compassion on them. You see, when you see a person with a need, there are several emotional responses you can make. Let me list just a few briefly. First of all, the, the, the first emotional response is apathy. Right? This word refers to an absence of emotion. You, you see the need, but you don't care. You are unmoved by it. There's a lot of apathy in our world, isn't there? Secondly, you can respond with sympathy. This word refers to a harmony of feeling. In other words, you see a need and you know how they feel because you have felt that way too. You are sympathetic. There's another response though, empathy. This word speaks of an emotion that is stronger than sympathy. When you empathize, with someone, it means that you hurt with them. It means that you share the pain they feel. Then, lastly, there's compassion. The word compassion, as it is used in the Bible, means this. It means to be moved inwardly, to yearn with tender mercy, affection, pity, and empathy. It refers to the deepest possible feelings. The, the phrase moved with compassion means to be moved in the inner organs. It, it, it has the same idea as our modern expression from the bottom of my heart. Someone has defined compassion as sympathy coupled with a strong desire to help. You, you don't just say, oh shame, though. I understand. And you pass. And you go to your nice car, back to your nice house, and to your nice job. And you forget all about it. Since sympathy refers to the capacity to share feelings, to enter into the same feelings, to feel the same thing. So compassion is sharing the feelings of others and possessing a desire to help them in their trouble. That is the heart of the Lord. When Jesus saw the people, he was touched by their need and he was moved by a strong desire to meet their need. Uh, Let's consider the Lord's compassion for these lost uh, uh, sheep. Verse 33 and verse 34, we see the reason for his concern. When Jesus looked at the people, he saw them as a flock of lost sheep. He, He was stared by the vision of them as helpless lambs with no one to care about them. But if you think about it, they did have religious leaders, didn't they? But those men did not care about the people. The the, the Pharisees, the scribes and the Sadducees only cared about the people doing things their way. 
That they wanted people to march to their tune. They, they, to obey their rules and keep lining their pockets. So that they could continue to live their lavish lifestyle. This, this kind of leadership is soundly condemned by God in Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 1 to 10. God speaks to shepherds and he says, these shepherds, the motive of these shepherds is to, is to uh, benefit and to gain from the, from the sheep. Not to lead the sheep, not to tend for the sheep, not to care for the sheep, but they want material things from the sheep. Isn't that what we see even today? Church is big business. Pastors are driving, uh, you know, big cars. They are traveling with private jets, all from the pockets of God's people. They are sleeping with God's people, abusing God's people. To even use the word pastor on them is blasphemy. Well, when the Jewish religious leaders looked at the people of Israel, all they saw was a people that existed to serve them. But when Jesus saw the people of Israel, he saw them as they really were, as lost sheep in need of a shepherd. The, the image of lost people as sheep is powerful here. As you, may, as you may know, sheep are about the dumbest animals on the planet. They have no sense of direction. They are also absolutely defenseless. There is no animal as needy and as dependent as, on, on, on a human as the sheep. But when Jesus refers to lost people as sheep, he's not trying to insult them. He's merely telling the truth. Sheep without a shepherd cannot find their way. Apart from the ministry of the heavenly shepherd, no lost person would ever find their way to God. The lost are hopeless. Right? They are hopelessly lost and they need a shepherd to come and rescue them. And thank God that is just what he does, right? He, he, he comes to seek and save the lost. He is that shepherd who, when he has a hundred sheep and loses one, he leaves the ninety-nine to go and search for the one and he comes carrying it back on, on his shoulder and celebrates with the community that he has rescued his sheep. Sheep without a shepherd are absolutely defenseless. Apart from the intervention of the heavenly shepherd, no lost person would ever be able to avoid the wrath of God and the fires of hell. The, the, the lost are a terrible, are in terrible danger. Right? God's wrath is upon the heads of the lost. You see, religious activity, good works, and good intentions and being a good person will never be enough to keep you out of hell. The only antidote for the poison of sin is the precious blood of Jesus. He is, our, he is your only hope and, and the only way to salvation. Isn't that what Jesus Christ says in John 14 verse 6? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except by me. When a lost sheep comes to him for salvation, they receive absolute security. We are secure in him because he is the great shepherd who will lose none of his sheep. You see, sheep without a shepherd are dumb. 
Apart from the ministry of the heavenly shepherd, the lost sheep does not know that he is even lost. The truth must be revealed to them by the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. The worst place to be in is to not know that you don't know. Verse 34a, we see the reach of his concern now. As I read this verse, let's look, consider it now. Verse 34a, when he went um, ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Jesus saw a crowd, but he also saw much more. Jesus saw a huge crowd of people. But he also saw individuals in that crowd. He looked out at that throng of people. He saw every broken heart, every physical ailment, every emotional need, every spiritual problem. He saw it all. You see, with Jesus, you are not drowned by a crowd. Even in the crowd, Jesus sees you. He sees what you're going through. He sees what your heart is experiencing, your heartbreak. The trouble that you're going through. He sees that crippled child. He sees that abused wife. He sees that depressed father. He sees that rebellious teenager. Jesus looked at a crowd and he saw the individual. That encourages me today. And I praise the Lord that we serve a God who knows all things. As Hebrews chapter 4, 13 tells us that no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed in the eyes, to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 3 tells us, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Our God sees everything that happens in this universe, but he, he still has the ability to focus on the individual. Brothers and sisters, he cares about you. He cares about the needs in your life. You can come to him and find help you need regardless of the problem you face. We are called to cast our burdens on him. We are called to, 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 to draw near to him because his burden, uh, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Just a quick survey of the Gospels reveal the boundless and compassion of our Savior. How he cares. He has compassion for the scattered ones, Matthew 9 verse 36. He has compassion for the sinning ones, Matthew 18, 23 to 35. He has compassion for the sick ones, Mark chapter 1, 40 to 45. He has compassion for the suffering ones, Luke chapter 7 verse 11 to 13. He has compassion for the seeking ones. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 22. Why was Jesus able to have compassion on so many different kinds of people in so many different settings and situations? Well, the answer is this. Because Jesus, even though he knew all their faults, did not let that get in the way of his compassion and expression of love. He did not look at just that which was apparent on their surface. He was able to look at these people and see their deepest need. He loved them at the deepest level of, of his being. And as a result, he was never impatient with them or offended by their needs. How do you see people? 
we often base our evaluation of a person on what we see with our eyes or hear with our ears. We look at what they are driving, where they are working, what they are wearing, and that draws them to us. We don't look at the fact that they are the Imago Dei, they, they are bearers of God's image. How do you look at people? You see, when we need to learn, uh, what we need to learn to look past the person's exterior uh, uh, is to see them as they really are. We must see their needs before we can express compassion to them. We, 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 and, and we must learn to see them as Jesus sees them. That is the essence of Philippians chapter 2 verse 4. You consider the needs of others above our own. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, we bear each other's burdens. We see the response of his concern in chapter 34 verse B. And uh, in 34, verse 34b, uh, these people came to Jesus for help and he did not drive them away. The, the, the Bible says, and he began to teach them many things. There, in that out of way location, Jesus spread the spiritual banquet uh, table with a feast of eternal truth. He led those lost sheep into the green pastures of his perfect soothing feeling word. He caused them to lie down beside the still waters of his wonderful revelation. Jesus gathered up the lost sheep that day and pointed them to God. He surely told them of the true way of salvation. He surely told them of the love of God for the lost. He surely told them of the hope, life, peace and joy that were all available in him. He wanted to help and he had the power to help them. So he reached out and helped them. Do you remember the day the Good Shepherd found you wandering on the dark hills of sin? Do you remember when you lifted out, when he lifted you out of your desperate condition, placed you on his shoulders and carried you to a place of peace, safety, and blessing? Do you remember when he changed your life? If you can, then you should rejoice in what he has done for you. If not, then you should come to Jesus and let him change your life. He cares about you. He's able to help you. He will help you if you come to him by faith. If you want to talk to the pastor about this, you can see Mr. Nyoni or you can see me. If you're feeling like God is calling you and he's speaking to you. Now the question is, where did this message find you today? Are you weary in the work of the Lord? Have you lost the joy of his salvation? Have the things of God become a drudgery to you? Are you just spiritually tired and worn out? Come to Jesus. Let him restore your soul. He knows how to put the spring back in your step. He knows how to give you joy once again. He cares about what you and, uh, and, and what is happening in your life. Are you a lost sheep today? Are you there on the wild hills of sin, away from God and all alone, the shepherd cares about you. If you will come to him, he will take you into his fold and give you the peace, the joy, and the security that you need. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, 
you looked out and you saw us going about ignorant and you had compassion on us because we were sheep without a shepherd you stretched forth your hand drew us to yourself gave us a new life crowned us with a new name children of God saints we thank you father that today we know you and you are our shepherd may we grow with a deeper desire for you to know you to walk with you to love you and to glorify you with our lives Lord, we are also cognizant of those who do not know you, those who are walking by themselves, those who are making their own ways. Remind them, O oh God, this morning, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except by you. Remind them, Father, that in you there's joy, there's true peace, there's life. May you draw us to yourself and work in our hearts. For the sake of your name and your glory we pray. Amen.